welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. So cool to be in the house of the Lord with my friends and my whanau, and just being, worshipping God, and just, it's just awesome. It's always an awesome way to start the week. So I just want to say welcome to every single one of you, especially welcome, uh, newcomers and visitors. You're so welcome in this place. So for those of you that don't know me, my name's Simon. Um, I lead the church here with Christy and an incredible team of people. So what we are talking about today is a hot topic. And the last hot topic I did was talking about pornography. We're not going to do that this morning because that was just an awkward message, wasn't it? Um, especially with the mannequin on stage. But we are looking at... Israel this morning and the conflict over there and what our heart should be and what our response should be. Uh, last week I wasn't preaching, I was the MC, and I prayed for uh, peace in that area and uh, judging by the very tepid response I got, I thought, well, maybe we need to uh, have a message about this and just really understand biblically what is going on and what our response should be. Um, since this church's inception or formation in 1977, we've never changed our stance on the Jewish people, and it's written in our belief statement, which is um, we believe that the Jewish people are precious to God and that he's got a special plan for them. So we've never deviated from that, but um, as we see in this crazy, topsy-turvy world, um, sometimes people can just grab a hold of what is popular at the moment and and forget the roots of of a whole lot of stuff. So I think as a church, it's really good to, to have a look at this and explore this. And there was one great revivalist said this, and I think it's so true. If we preach the gospel but do not address the issues of our time, we are not preaching the gospel at all. Um, And it's very, very wise words there. So um, with that, looking at this, the Jewish-Palestinian conflict, um, wanting to answer three questions, because this week, man, this has been most of what our discussions have been, and people have been talking about it, and people have been asking about it. Hopefully I'm answering these questions. Why is Israel important? What should I believe about Israel? And what should my response be regarding the conflict? And there is no way I'm going to be able to cover all this in 35 minutes. Um, I'm not really going to be able to go into prophecy or really dig deep. But my prayer is that for some of us, it'll be like a light bulb moment and our spirit's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Or it will um, be a discussion starter for us, um, that this will continue to percolate in our heart, um, that we won't be on the fence or indifferent about this. And like I want to say, you can always feel to disagree, um, and that, that's okay. Um, like I said, the church has not changed its position on this for 40 plus years, um, ever. So let's have a look at this, starting with a history lesson from Simon Drake in five minutes or less. Um, just want to teach you all about thousands upon thousands of years in five minutes, see if I can do it. Starting at 2166 BC, uh, all the notes are on the Bible app. And it's probably um, one of these messages that you want to have a look at the notes um, with and, and follow along. So Genesis 12, 1 to 3, this is where it's all starting. The Lord said to Abraham, who became Abraham, Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So God gave Abraham this region, which is pretty much where Israel is at the moment. Um, He gave the land of Canaan to Abraham. And 
if you follow the story, most of us will know it well. Uh, a while later after that, the Israelites, the Jewish people, became slaves in Egypt, uh, and they were there for hundreds of years. God rose up, uh, raised up a deliverer, Moses, to rescue God's people out of Israel, and it was Joshua, the next generation, that led them back into the land that God had given them. It was their promised land. Um, and that land was filled with very, very wicked people uh, and very, very anti-God um, people, and they were dispossessed. And we've got to understand, this is probably where the, the conflict comes in our understanding of this. Um, and this is, I think, where deconstruction is taking a hold and, and the woke um, philosophy is we've got to believe the character of God and we've got to believe that the Bible is accurate. And sometimes we don't understand why God does things, but we can trust in his character always. Um, I'm not going to make up the way I think about God in my own head because that's making God in my own image and that's idolatry. Um, but there was a time in history where God gave this land to Abraham and his descendants, Abraham. So going further along, um, there have been many times the Jewish people have been exiled out of the land. They backslid. They divorced the Lord pretty much symbolically. Um, God judged them for their backsliding, and they were exiled. They came back again. This is called the Sporias when um, the Jewish people leave that region. But then since the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the Jewish people pretty much dispersed over all the world um, since the fall of the temple and, and the destruction of the temple um, under Roman rule in 70 AD or around there. So let's just jump forward a few thousand years, 1517 to 1970. That whole region was led by the Ottoman Empire. Um, they conquered the region until the end of World War I, where British, the Britain defeated the Ottoman Empire. 1927, Britain understands Jews are a displaced people and create a homeland for them in Palestine. That's called the Balfour Declaration. 1937, the League of Nations, which is a precursor to the UN, create an Arab and Jewish state. It's like the two-state solution in Palestine. That's called the Peel Commission. But unfortunately, the Arabs reject this outright. And I think at no time will, will Arabs ever be happy with Israel being in there because in their mind uh, that land was taken off them um, so they're really upset about this again we've got to go back to what it says in Genesis and that God gave um, the Jewish people this region 1948 the UN formally defines the boundaries and creates the new state of Israel that was on the 14th of May 1948 the very next day Israel is invaded by five Arab states everyone around them invades Israel the very next day. So you've got this tiny little nation, and honestly, it is tiny. You can pretty much fit Israel between Auckland and Cape Reinga, almost. It is tiny, um, and there are massive nations all around it. So there is no way um, in the natural that Israel should have won that war. It should have never happened, but you can read stories about um, how supernatural it was. They won this war against impossible odds in 1948, 1967. Uh, and that was unprovoked. Uh, 1967, Egypt, Jordan, and Syria again attack Israel. It's known as the Six-Day War. That was unprovoked. They didn't ask for that. They were living at peace in the region, but Egypt, Jordan, and Syria attack Israel. Again, Israel fights back and conquers Sinai, Gaza, and the West Bank. After the Six-Day War, leaders of eight Arab states in the Middle East, they sign the Three-No Declaration, and this is what they sign and agree to live by. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, and no negotiation with Israel. And even though they have enemies on every single side of them, 
and, and just so much hatred and so much contention and so much conflict, they're doing everything they can to have peace in the region. So much so that they give the Temple Mount, which is the most important holy site in Judaism, where the temple was, um, over to the Palestinians to govern there. Um, and ever since that happened, J Jewish people were not able to, to worship um, there in, or worship their Lord in their, that same place. So again, like Israel is always wanting peace. 1979, Israel voluntarily hands, voluntarily hands the Sinai Peninsula back to Egypt. 2000, Israel offers Yasser Arafat fat, <clears throat> recognition of a Palestinian state. All of Gaza, 94% of the West Bank and East Jerusalem, Arafat rejects this outright and launches another intifada, which is a holy uprising against the Jews. 2001 onwards, Palestinian militants launched tens of thousands of rocket and mortar attacks on Israel from the Gaza Strip. The international community considers these attacks on civilian targets acts of terror and war crimes. Medical studies in Serdo, which is the, the city closest to the Gaza Strip, um, have documented that PTSD in, is seen in almost 50% of the children living there. So a little bit of context, Christy and I were, were blessed to go to Israel in 2010 um, on a missions trip with 150 other people from all over the world, and, and we served the Jewish community, we served the Arab community, um, and we visited all the borders. We prayed for the enemies of Israel. We had a look at this, the social climate. We prayed and we visited, and Christy and I have been to this place and we've been and seen the bomb showers, and we've seen all the shells, and um, we were told this is what's going to happen. If you hear this, you've got to run and got to go here. Um, and so living under that, is co it's constantly going to play on your emotion. We truly are terrorized. That's what the word, why it's called terrorism. 50% of the kids are suffering there. Okay, moving right along. 2005, Israel pulls out of the Gaza Strip, dismantles all of its settlements, and forces their own people to leave their homes. It's like our government coming and saying, Simon Christie, you can't live in your house anymore. You've got to get out of there. Again, Israel's wanting peace. <clears throat> Israel offers to dismantle... Oh, sorry. Um, the Palestinians elect Hamas, the terror group, to govern Gaza. 2008, Israel offers Mohammed... Abbas, recognition of a Palestinian state, again, all of Gaza, 94% of the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Israel offers to dismantle all of its Jewish settlements. This again is rejected. Coming to 2023, Hamas commits the worst act of mass murder against Jews since the Holocaust. 260 people are massacred by Hamas terrorists at an EDM festival in the Negev Desert. Again, Christy and I have visited there, and many more hundreds of Israeli citizens are killed. <coughs> Naturally, Israel retaliates. And I'm not going to go into the reasons why they should be doing what they're doing. Um, we can stand with the, the Jewish people and disagree what they're doing, but I'm just thinking if, if New Zealand got attacked unprovoked, what would our response be as a nation? So these are big questions. But that's pretty much history in a nutshell. Um, and what's our response now? I think that Christians or the whole world, we are indebted to the Jews for a number of reasons. We have the Bible, and that was written... All, every single book, every author except for one author, um, Luke, who authored Luke and Acts, were Jews. So the whole Bible, like we've got the Jews to thank for that. Our Savior, Jesus, was a Jew. Like he's, he's not a white dude who's got blonde hair and bright blue eyes and, and, and Swedish. Uh, he's not like that at all. He was a Jew. Jewish custom and the language and the country, so rich, rich with symbolism 
and history. When you go over there and you walk on the places that Jesus walked and and you understand it, man, it it does something so awesome to your heart. God chose Jews to plant the church. First of all, he chose 12 Jews um, to to be his disciples. Then we see the birth of the early church. It was um, totally Jewish until about, is it Acts chapter 13 or something? The Bible says the whole world is blessed because of Jews. And I've been asking myself this question all week, and this is my opinion. I think we worship the same God as the Jews. The, the problem is that they don't, they're still looking for their Messiah and awaiting, but we know that their Messiah and our Messiah is Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. Um, so we worship the same God as them. And so all of this, I think there needs to be, an, we need to carry an attitude of honor for the Jewish people. Just like people, we, we carry an attitude of honor for um, those people that have gone before us and our ancestors and what they've done. Um, I really do think every single Christian, we are indebted to the Jewish people. Um, whether you agree with what's going on or not, we are absolutely indebted to them and we need to honor them. <clears throat> so what makes Israel so special? Like why aren't I, like a few months back, having a, a conversation and a, and a message about um, the Ukraine and Russia? Why, why is this so, so important. What makes Israel so special? Three, three reasons for that, I believe. Number one, God has chosen the Jewish people. And I think God chose the Jewish people to be his vehicle for his ways and ultimately the birth of our Savior, the Savior of the whole world, actually, Jesus. Physical descendants of Abraham are called, I mean, I know it looks like it's Bavat and Neo, but that's not what it's probably going to sound like if, if it's in the proper Hebrew. So sorry for the pronunciation massacre there. But it, the, the, the term, and we've read it, the pupil of God's eye in Zechariah 2.8, that's a term of endearment God uses for no other nation on earth except for Israel. Why does he think that Israel is special? Number one, God chose the Jewish people, and he didn't choose Israel because they were special at all. They are special because God chose them. And we read this in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 onwards. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. All of the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen. Of all the people on earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than any other nation. For you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is a faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. I'm really going to have to have a drink of water. Sorry, guys. (coughs) Talk amongst yourselves. Number two, God considers Israel his firstborn nation. In Exodus 4, verse 22, it says, Then you will tell them, this is God to to, to Moses, Then you will tell him, Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. He's not talking about Jesus or anything. He's talking about about Israel. He considers Israel as his firstborn nation. Now, God, there's a lot of... A lot of references to nations in the Bible, and we tend to individualize a lot of what God says, but we've got to understand that God looks at this world as nations as well. And a classic example is the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. 
Um, it says that God gathers the nations together, that God will judge nations and he will judge individuals as well. But it's a lot bigger than just me. It's God sees nations and understands nations and their plans and purposes as well. And God considers Israel his firstborn nation. That's what the Bible says. What does that mean? I, me and Christy are privileged to have four children, Jasha, Micah, Shemaiah, and Keilah. If you say it fast, it sounds like you're speaking in tongues, our kids' names. Um, but uh, I love all of them, and I've talked with them all about this illustration, so hopefully they're not going to be offended. Um, so I love all of my kids the same, but there is a special place in, in our heart, in my heart, for my firstborn son. Why? Because he was the first child that we had. And any of you guys as, as parents will understand this. You love your kids all the same. They're all different. You love them all the same. But there is just a special place in your heart for your firstborn. And I think this, and thank you to Gary for, for sharing this illustration with me because I think it's so amazing. God looks at Israel as his firstborn son. Israel has a special place in his heart. He loves all nations the same, but Israel has a special place in his heart because he considers Israel as his firstborn son. I think that's a really awesome point, don't you? Makes a lot of sense. Number three, why is Israel important? God, God's promise to Abraham and his descendants, which is the Abrahamic covenant. Now, there is a, quite a few covenants in, in the Bible, um, promises that God made to people, and a covenant is like a very, very solemn um, promise or oath. And there's the Noahic uh, covenant, I think it's called. God promises that he's never going to flood the earth again. Um, there's the Abrahamic covenant, and we'll talk about that. There's the, the, um, the Mosaic covenant, which is the law. Jesus fulfilled that. We are no longer under the law. There's the new covenant, um, which is absolutely amazing. I think there's, a, there's a, another couple. But these covenants are when God promises things. Sometimes there are conditions, but they're very solemn promises that God makes to people. So with that Understanding, let's look at the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17, verse 1 to 7. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abraham fell down on the ground, as you would. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I'll make you a father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abraham. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I'll make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant, colon. This is what the everlasting covenant is. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will give the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. Let me read that again. I confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. This is, this is a point of difference between a lot of Christians. A lot of believers think, well, the old covenant is done away with. We're no longer under the law. Um, we're not under the Mosaic covenant. 
Um, this doesn't count anymore because of the backslidden hearts of Israel. But when I read this, and you go a couple of chapters before that, when God is, it's, it's, a, it's a couple of chapters long, this whole covenant thing, and God instructs Abraham to split um, sacrifices apart, and what usually happened is both parties to confirm an oath would walk between the sacrifices, but it was only God who walked, like Abraham didn't even need to do anything, he was sleeping, he was having a trance of this, which again reiterates that this is an everlasting covenant. Uh, I think what, and this is my opinion again, what people forget that, okay, the, the old covenant's done away with, the Mosaic one, we are no longer under the law. It was a schoolmaster to show us what sin was. Jesus is the only person that can forgive us our sin. But the Abrahamic covenant is a little bit different. It says this is an everlasting covenant. Like, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. You can choose to disagree with me if you want. But as I've been wrestling with this, my own personal opinion, that this covenant with Abraham's descendants still stands. And it's about the land. It's about the land that God has given them, going right back to the start of Genesis. So what should our response be with all of this? As Christians, like, do we need to have a response? Can we just like, well, it's over there, and I don't really care. I just want to live my own life. Should we, should we go the other extreme and like, wow, okay, Israel's important. Then do we start doing Jewish dancing and buy some chauffeurs and grow our uh, sideburns long? and do all the festivals. I have, I've had people way back like come to me and say, Simon, if you want revival in your youth ministry, then you've got to start doing all the Israeli festivals, and that's going to bring revival. And I think, well, I'm not, an, I'm not a Jewish person. How does that work? Uh, so people can sort of get a little bit unbalanced with this. So what should our response be? So no, don't grow your sideburns long. <laughs> Man, I could be so cheeky, but I'm not. I'm restraining myself. <laughs> Number one. Stand with the Jewish people. What should our response be as Christians way over here, the other side of the world, literally the other side of the world, stand with the Jewish people. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Did this blessing and cursing stop at the cross? That's another whole point of theology that we haven't got time to go into today, but I know that, that blessing still happens. And when you think about blessing, which is standing with and encouraging, I think it's really important. So a few weeks back when this conflict first started happening in the, in the massacre in the EDM festival, uh, was, we, we first learned about it, the Jewish community in New Zealand, they're not Christian, Whangarei, not Christian, but they wanted to have a visuals, vigil, so they asked if there was a, a venue close by, and over in Elam they uh, absolutely generously said, yeah, we, we've got a side room you can have, it's our kids' church room, you can, you can have that space. Everyone was thinking it was going to be about 20 people. Um, and me and Christy and I are regretting not going to that because we weren't quite sure what, what, it, what the logistics of that were and, and who it was for. Um, so they went there, and soon they understood that there was no way they were going to fit the hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people in that small room. Had to go into the, um, the main room, and their, their worship practice had to stop um, simply because people wanted to stand with them and, and support them. Does that mean that you agree with everything people do? No, of course not. It means that you stand with them, you support, and you encourage them because you know that it is hard for them. And for, for Jewish people, they've grown up hundreds of years, generations on generations of people despising them and hating on them and wanting them not to be there. So they grow up with this thing of everyone is my enemy. And, and some, some Jews that I've met, they've got a very hard exterior, but their hearts are so soft. They've had to have a hardened exterior because they've got so much animosity against them all the time. Number two, pray for the peace of Israel. 
And in Psalm 122, verse 6 to 7, it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May all who love the city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. Um, So I've broadened that. And people say, well, that was a specific time in Israel's history. The psalm was written because of what was happening in in Jerusalem. And that's true, but I think we can grab that principle um, and we can apply it to our lives today. And like I've done, um, let's just pray for peace in that whole region. That's, That's God's heart, that there would be peace. And we've got to understand that both Palestinians and Jews live in Israel. It's not just saying, well, I want to pray for the Jewish people and and, and stuff everyone else, like, I'm not going to pray for them. It's actually praying for God's peace in that whole region. So I want to share an incredible story that I'll never uh, forget with Christy and I. So we were on this 2010, 150 of us just serving the Jews and serving the region. And one afternoon we were given the opportunity. There was inside the West Bank, uh, there was a secret Christian organization there. And, and they, they set up this opportunity for us to just go and, and clean up the street, one of the main streets. And they thought that this would be potentially very, very volatile. Like, if people knew that Christians from all over the world, 150 of us or so, were going there, um, what would be the reaction? So uh, the people inside the Gaza, uh, sorry, inside the West Bank, where we were, and I'm not going to talk about the region, um, there were cop cars there, and they shut off the streets because they thought this was going to be a bit of a riot. And they said, whatever you do, take off all your, all, like, all Hebrew um, words, everything to do with Israel. You, you, like, no Jewish person could go into the place we were going to. And it was sort of like me and Chris is like, what on earth is going on? Is this even safe? Are we going to live through this? We've got our kids back home. What's going to happen? So we went in there, and all we did was clean up the streets. And, I mean, they needed cleaning up. Like we, we picked up dead chicken carcasses, and it was, like, pretty bad. Um, and then there was one Palestinian man. He came out, and he was like, what on earth are you doing? And I'm, I'm pretty sure we were saying, well, we just want to show the love of God to people all over the world. And his reaction, and I'll never forget it, he started crying and he started dancing in the streets because all these people over there were showing an act of love to these people um, who also feel very, very oppressed. So much so that like reporters came out and Christy and I made the paper there. Uh, there's a picture of us with this man who was dancing. Like, isn't that crazy? Um, so we got to understand that there is so much going on here. Pray for the peace of that area. Number three, don't believe everything you hear on the media. My goodness me, some people just need to get off that. It's like, you really don't know what you're talking about, so don't post that or don't repost that, or please do your homework first. Um, So don't believe everything you hear on the media. Allen Ginsberg, who was a very liberal but influential Christian, uh, sorry, U.S. author, not a Christian, he was around in the early 20s, 30s, around there, World War II. He said, whoever controls the media controls the culture. Now, this is something that we need to understand, and we we can't forget this, that pre-World War II, Germany was considered the most Christian nation in the world uh, because the Reformation happened there, and Martin Luther happened there, and in the censuses, like, everyone had a faith in God, Germany pre-World War II. And Hitler comes along, and the Nazi party, and very cleverly uses propaganda and the media, and within just a spate of a few years turns a Christian nation into thinking that Jews are worth, worth less than a dog, that they, are, they need to be killed, they, they need to just, it's the final solution, in just a few years. Now, they were intelligent people back then, the, 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 the German public, but if it can happen then, and it's happened in the last hundred years, it can happen again. 
Um, so we've got to be so careful. We've got to understand that behind this, there's an anti-Semitic spirit that hates the Jewish people. Why? Because of all the reasons that I've said before, why we're indebted to them. And uh, just got to be so careful um, with this. Please don't believe everything you hear on the media because Satan is using the media again to water the seed of anti-Semitism in people's hearts. Number four, love all people with the love of Christ. All people. Mark 12, verse 29 to 31, um, they ask Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And in verse 30, God says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Love your neighbor. And like, let's compare scripture with scripture. Uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the um, good Samaritan and the Samaritans were like the Jews hated the Samaritans but it was the Samaritan who was the righteous person um, and they said this is your neighbor like the whole thing is who is your neighbor so in our in our stance of understanding that the Jewish people are important to God and God's got an amazing plan for them let's not automatically think well then we're anti-Arab or we're anti the people over there that are innocent and caught in all of this now, there is a, an incredible international ministry that's, that's been here a few years um, and has shared. And I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to say it's, I've made this up because then you'll be offended at me. But someone I very much respect and trust said this, and I tend to agree mostly with it. He said that people that don't know God or follow God or follow Jesus as Messiah, there is a couple, there's, they, they sort of fall into two camps. There is the lost person who, who they are just lost and they're far away. But there's also the wicked person. Um, and, and they are very wicked. They're hell-bent on everything anti-God and anti-Christian. Um, so there is that element within this. And this person believed that it is right for us to pray that God would deal with the wicked and that God would save the lost. And I think that's worth thinking about uh, because there is Hamas. It's a terror organization. But there are a lot of people, even in the Gaza Strip right now, and they're, not, they're thinking, what on earth is going on? And this is, this is terrible, and how do I live, and how do I keep safe? Do you know that Iran, which is an, a crazy place um, at the moment, that is where Christians are becoming saved the fastest. It is the fastest growing region in the world for Christianity right now, is in the midst of all of this um, extre extremism. And I love Open Doors. It's a it's, it, it makes us aware of the persecuted church all around the world. So there's a lot of stuff around it about Israel and Gaza right now. And this is what a, a guy prayed, and, and they posted it on the Open Doors website just a couple of days ago. And I, this is really moving. He says this. Someone who's living in Gaza right now from a, a Gaza believer. We pray that love and peace will prevail in our country. And I ask for a prayer for God's protection over my family and our home that the war will end quickly and that the Lord will meet all needs, especially at this time, and that we can be the light in the middle of this total darkness and reflect the light, the love of Christ, and reflect the light and love of Christ in Gaza. Isn't that incredible? Mitch, if you can jump on the keyboard. Well, don't jump on it, but just stand behind it and play. <laughs> Would be great. I've been praying like... And then there, I just, there's, there's so much more I want to share, but we just haven't got the time. And I was asking the Lord, how do we finish this up? And I really felt he said, just read the word of God, that, that the Bible is living and active. Um, it, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. 
it, it, it divides, you know, the, the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And I really felt the Holy Spirit say, let the Bible just, like, be the Bible. And, uh, and that's really hard for a preacher and a teacher because, like, you want to stop every couple of uh, sentences and say, well, this is what I think it is and this is... And, and I really felt God say, no, Simon, just read it and, and, and let it percolate in our hearts. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of this message. And we're going to read the whole of Romans 11. So for those who haven't had your Bible reading this morning, like this, you can do it now and not have to worry about it for the rest of the day. And uh, I love reading from the ESV, but the New Living Translation is a little bit easier to understand. So I'm reading from the NLT, this Romans 11. And I pray as we read this that we will just let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. And maybe there are some things like, well, I'm not quite sure I understand that or what is, how does that work? I encourage you to go to the Lord and say, and, and do research and read this and pray and say, well, what, what does this actually mean, Lord? I don't quite understand this. But I love the Bible and I just believe that the Bible is going to speak for itself this morning. And all of our preconceived ideas about what this means, well, that means this. Let's just put those all aside and let's just read the Bible um, this morning. Romans 11 verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. It is the same today for a few people of the people of Israel have the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. As the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day is shut their eyes so that they do not see and close their ears so they do not hear. Likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I'm saying this, all, all this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. For since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who are dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion gives, given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in 
to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch, not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ and you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobey, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You by nature were a branch cut off from a, from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. And the last part, the heading in my Bible is God's mercy for everyone. Verse 25. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved, as the scriptures say. The one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Isn't that incredible? And I just want to say about all of this, because there are so many different views, and we just need to be clear on one thing. Salvation is through Jesus. And it's only Jesus that was sent by God to come and live as God and as man here to pay the price for our sins. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so regardless of whatever our ethnicities here are and whatever our history is salvation is only found in Jesus and and we need to understand that um, there is a lot of stuff in, in those verses it's like how is that going to work out God and in future events and like I'm comfortable with not knowing how all that's going to happen um, and I'm okay with not understanding things because I know the character and the love of God it's like God your ways are higher than my ways I can't work this out but I love you and I follow you and, I, and, and Lord you're awesome and you've got all of this sorted out so I trust and rest and have my joy in you, which I think is the best place we can get to. Um, so if you're here or watching this, please understand that Jesus died for you so that you and I, all of us, can have everlasting life. He loved the world so much so that if we believe in him, we can have our sins forgiven, we can have an incredible future, and our eternal destiny is secure in heaven. 
So pray with me, please. Lord, I want to thank you for today. Lord, I pray that your truth shines through this message. Lord, we pray for the peace of that whole area. Lord, there is a lot of conflict. There is a lot of heartbreak. There is a lot of brokenness. Please may peace come fast to that area. Lord, I pray pray that everything will be de-escalated, God. Lord, we, we support every Jewish person. Lord, encourage them, build them up. Lord, they are surrounded by people who really don't like them and don't want them to be there. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the church, Lord, Messianic Jews, Jews that know and love you. Lord, give them, give them strategy. Lord, give them the answers to share. And for the Christian church in, 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 in Gaza and in the West Bank and in, in Iran and all of these places that, Lord, they are risking their life for even being believers, Lord strengthen the church in those areas. Lord, and I'm so bold as to say, Lord, if there are truly wicked people, Lord, deal with them in the way that you know how. And Lord, for people that are lost and searching, draw them to yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name. And I want to thank you for the mystery of of the church and what you've done, that that Jew and Gentile and, and Greek and and Lord, whatever our background was, whatever our nationality was, we can become one new man in you. Lord, that's, that's an incredible mystery, Lord. We can become a holy nation. Lord, it's not, not geographical, but it's a people. Lord, we are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to you as the church. We thank you for that, God. Thank you for what you're doing here. Bless Lord, renew church and every family here. Give us amazing opportunities to share your love. And Lord, through these these turbulent times, Lord, times of shaking in the world, and Lord, it just seems to be getting worse, but Lord, there are times of shaking. Lord, may we stand firm because you are our foundation, Jesus. Lord, may we withstand times of shaking and people around us that don't know you and and are, are freaking out, Lord, I just really pray that we'll be good representations of you, Lord, that we are called to represent what you've done, Jesus, that we will present you well and that we will will visually be able to walk and demonstrate and show, Lord, the hope and the security we have in you, that we don't have to fear. We can live in joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.